Good morning to you. A warm welcome to you wherever you're watching our online service today. I wanted to start off today's message with something different, and that is to ask you a question. And uh, the question I want to ask you is, do you know where the oldest and largest grapevine is in the world today? And I'm talking about the grapevine that is still producing fruit. So maybe you don't know the answer immediately, but perhaps you can Google it while we're carrying on with the sermon. As long as you can do two things at the same time, that's all right. You can check on your phone as well as listening to, to the message. But I'm going to come back to that later on. We're filming today's message in conjunction with the 2nd of May. And uh, as you would know, many countries around the world mark the 1st of May as Workers' Day. And so as we come to our opening prayer, we're going to zoom in on that and just focus around workers as we pray together. So join me as we set some time aside to pray. I'm going to just light the candle before I forget that. And uh, we're all good. So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, you have called us to be co-workers with you and to share the seeds of the gospel with our world. And for this privilege, we are deeply humbled. We ask that you would continue to shower us with your empowering grace and mercy to help us serve you with obedient hearts and to bring glory to your name. We also pause today to remember all workers in our country. We pray for those who are mistreated and taken advantage of, even as they struggle to try and put food on their tables. We pray that employers would treat workers with dignity, with care and with fairness. We also ask that if necessary, that we would be agents for justice and change. Lord, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. Today's reading is taken from John 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it may be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Here ends our reading. As we were made aware last week, Jesus loved to use symbols and imagery that people would have understood from their ordinary and everyday lives. Last week's sermon was about the Good Shepherd and, and the sheep, and that was something that this pastoral community and people in his day would have fully understood. Today's reading, as we'll get to in a moment, deals with vineyards and vines and grapes, and uh, it's also something that the, the local people would have fully understood in their context. Now, it's interesting that in the scriptures, there are many, many references to vines and vineyards. Uh, in fact, in one count, over a hundred different references. At one point in the, the history of the Jewish nation, 
They even had vines or grapes printed on the back of their coins during the time of Judas Maccabee. So we see that the vine was very symbolic for the nation of Israel. In fact, um, in many places, the vine is the symbol of the nation of Israel. And that's why um, a lot of these stories are very important for the people. And so Jesus uses this imagery for that reason also. But in the Old Testament, there are passages like 1 Kings 21 that speak about Naboth's vineyard. And then in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah records this, which he calls the song of the vineyard. Let me read just a few verses of that for us. He says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And there was a prophecy about the nation of Israel not following God's commands. Of course, if you jump then to the New Testament, you will find a number of different examples. Matthew's gospel is one that has a few. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now, that's another whole sermon in itself. Matthew chapter 21 in, in the middle section there has two parables, one about the two sons and then the other one about the parable of the tenants. Both of those are located in the vineyard. And so we must see that the symbolism is very important for Jesus and it's something that would have helped the people to link the spiritual content that Jesus was sharing with what was happening in their ordinary lives. So let us now get into our reading for today, which is John chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you, you can follow along or um, we'll put up some of the quotes on the screen for you so you can engage with us. So John opens the chapter 15 with these words, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now I want us to be wary today of not just simply brushing these words aside as if we know them and have heard sermons about them. Because remember over the last couple of weeks, I've been harping on about the fact that we must understand the context of Jesus's words because he's not there standing in a vacuum or he's not there sitting in his in his office or his room writing these words down or like we would be today typing them away in a computer Jesus has a crowd around him there's a context of an event happening and so as we come to today's reading about the vine and the branches I think many of us and I include myself initially picture that Jesus could be standing near a vineyard or in a vineyard or somewhere like that because it seems the perfect illustration but scholars actually tell us otherwise and I was quite surprised when I heard this, but if you want to imagine where Jesus is standing in this moment as he refers to the being the true vine, he's actually standing at the entrance to the temple. I know, it seems strange, doesn't it? Because we imagine the temple just to be the solid stone building and the vineyard is out there in the countryside. But scholars tell us that there was over the entrance to the temple a vine that was engraved and, and made with, with gold. Let me read to you part of the Mishnah. And Josephus cons, uh, confirms this. It says this, A golden vine stood over the entrance to the sanctuary or the temple, trained over the posts, and whoever gave a leaf or a berry or a cluster as a freewill offering, he brought it and the priests hung it thereon. So let me explain what they're saying is very simply when people came to the temple to bring their free will offerings, they would bring them in the form of berries or grapes or, or leaves made out of gold. 
That was their free will offering or their offering to God. And then they were placed over onto this vine. And sometimes it is believed that people would even engrave their family names or some kind of little message on the back of these golden things, which I suppose if we think about it, would maybe start to create a little bit of hierarchy where somebody comes into the temple and says, oh, you know, I gave, you know, I gave that or my family gave that. And so Jesus now, in the context of this, is standing at the entrance of the temple. I mean, just imagine if he is doing this, standing at the entrance of the temple, there is this vine over the doorframe with all these golden things on it. And clearly it's made, it's, it's, it's man-made out of gold. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am the true vine. And I just think what a perfect illustration. Now, as he goes deeper into this passage, the disciples have this context. They're thinking about the golden uh, grapes and leaves. And now Jesus is going to be able to clarify to them what he really means about being the true vine. So Jesus has just clarified for his disciples and those listening that he is the vine and that his father is the viticulturalist. Uh, I wonder if John couldn't pronounce the word viticulturalist. That's why he used the word gardener. But um, for, for all intents and purposes, Jesus is saying he's the vine and his father is the one who's going to do the work on the vine and then the branches. Then he comes to verse 2 and he says, The gardener cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. A gentleman by the name of Hall Harris once said that a vine will grow in any direction it is able to grow. But Jesus' heavenly Father wants to tend the vine. And I experienced this myself many years ago when I decided to plant just a few little vines in our garden. And I was surprised at how quickly they grew and also how wild they grew. Um, I planted one particularly outside one of our rooms um, in the back garden and it really just grew so wild up the drain pipe and over um, over the windows and everything and eventually I thought to myself I can't believe this is actually just one vine but in essence it got out of control now when Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5 was speaking about that vineyard and those grapevines he noticed that when he looked at the crop of uh, looked for a crop of good grapes he realized that it hadn't yielded any fruit or it only produced bad fruit. And perhaps one of the reasons for that is that it wasn't pruned correctly. And I think the people of Israel themselves, if you look at their rebellion and sin, didn't want God to prune them, didn't want God to cut and to tend them, so they went off on their own way. And as we know, just like a grapevine, if you allow people to carry off on their own agenda, they're going to run wild. And so anyway, if I come back to the little, little uh, vines that I planted, I remember that first end of the first year coming to the point of trying to prune them. And I was a little bit wary of doing this because I, in one, one aspect, I was quite chuffed to see how much they had grown. And also because I was inexperienced, I didn't know, you know exactly where I needed to prune them. But I realized in that moment that I had the responsibility of being the gardener, the viticulturalist. And that if I wanted to produce a few bunches of grapes in the next season, I needed to cut off the branches that weren't bearing fruit or the ones that were dying. And it was a hard thing in some way, but it was a very necessary thing. And I think any grapevine that wants to produce for years and years and years needs to be pruned. And sadly, those parts that are dead need to be cut off. And this is what Jesus is alluding to in this illustration. 
Now, remember at the beginning of today's message, I asked you the question, if you knew where uh, the oldest um, and the, the longest producing grapevine in the world is. Now, I don't know if this is 100% true, but you can verify these facts. But what I found on the internet was that it's a vine called the grapevine, not the grape, but the grapevine, that's in Hampton Court in London. Now it's over 250 years old apparently and it was planted in 1768 by Lancelot Brown who was then at that point the gardener and in charge of all the gardens in Hampton Court. Already in 1887 the base or the stem of that vine was over 1.2 meters round and then they say that um, now roughly at the turn of the century it was over four meters around the base of it and some of the branches had the rods that had come out from that were over 36 meters i mean that is incredible they say that the last time they managed to get grapes out of it it produced over 270 kilograms of grapes now what is interesting just a bit of a random fact for us in the context of today's message is that even during the second world war they got prisoners of war to go into that garden and to prune those branches why because they wanted to keep producing the fruit and so i guess it didn't matter for them as to who was doing the pruning but jesus is saying to us that in order for the church and for us as believers to keep producing fruit we need to allow the gardener who is the father to prune us so that's the essence of this particular point that he is making. Verse 3 is an interesting verse. In the NIV it says, You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. But that word clean in the original language is also very, very similar to the word prune. So let me read it to you now from the New Living Translation. It says in verse 3, You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given to you now in the in the context of what jesus is saying he's saying to his disciples you have already been pruned you have already been uh, cut the, the, those rough edges or those dry parts have already been cut off because you've been hearing my word and the message has been reaching you and so god has already begun to refine you and to prune you but if you think about if you go back in john's gospel to john chapter 13 it's in this chapter where there's two, um, two different things at play with the disciples. The first one is what happens with Judas. And then there is the, the whole uh, thing of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Now, if you hold w within the context of this, the meaning of the word clean and the meaning of the word prune or cut, it's very possible that this could have some... Um, you know some feedback going all the way back to John chapter 13 because Judas in a sense is cut off from the disciples in the choices that he makes and and then the disciples themselves are cleansed through the symbolic washing of feet now I'm not sure if that's what Jesus is meaning but it's something worth holding on to if the word is closer towards the word clean then we could maybe think about it like this where you buy a bunch of grapes from the shop and you come home and before you eat it you normally clean it off so it's okay it's a washing it's a purifying so whatever the real meaning of this is i encourage you just to reflect on it but there's a strong chance that jesus is saying to his disciples look because i have already chosen you you have begun to be pruned already the word of god has begun to purify you and to clean you already 
The remainder of our reading for today from verse 4 all the way to verse 8 speaks a lot about the challenge of us to remain or to abide in Jesus. Let me just deal with verse 4 at this point. Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, I've just brought along a little part of a grapevine that I've cut off for us today. And uh, as you can see, it's got some nice green leaves. There are even one or two leaves that have started to die off. But, I mean, it's a very simple thing, and I think, I'm sure you really understand this, but with this being cut off the main vine, there's no chance that this will survive um, because it's not connected to the true vine, the main branch of the tree. If I cut this off and leave it, even if I put it into water a bit, it may stay for a while, but it's going to die off. Now, this is what Jesus is saying, and I'm sure his disciples are saying, okay, we get that, that makes f uh, full sense. Reverend Juan Heritus once said this, that our abiding or uh, um, our being connected speaks of where we are rooted. It turns out that we are rooting sometimes in different ways every day of our lives. We do this in every moment in which we live. And friends, I think this is something that I want us to reflect on today because we would be naive if we think that we aren't being impacted by the things around us. If you like being rooted in, which, in the world in which we live in, it will impact upon us. And um, Jesus' challenge to his disciples, I think, is also a challenge for us, is there are many, many different things that it can impact upon our hearts and our spirits and our lives. And we, as Christ followers, need to be able to check and see where we are rooted. Now, I want to give you another silly example, but it may also help in understanding this. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of going on an overseas holiday or to go somewhere where there is a different language being spoken or a different culture or you know even just English but spoken in a different accent. Now if you've done that you will notice that even after two to three weeks of being on holiday that you start to pick up even just in the odd word a little bit of the certain accent or sometimes the you know just in the odd saying here and there now the longer you spend in a country the more you will begin to pick up the language or even the accent now years ago we spent two years traveling around the world as i've mentioned a few times and it was interesting that when we came back to south africa although we still spoke english there were certain words or phrases we used accents that we had that we had picked up along the way now that, if you understand that illustration, that is what Jesus is getting to, is that we ourselves were connected into another community, and so we began to, to bear fruit or to be changed by that, even if we didn't even, even notice it. Jesus is saying to his disciples that if you are not going to be connected to him, that you are not going to really thrive or survive and you're not going to bear fruit. Now, we're going to speak a bit more about that. But the challenge in this particular point is to say what or who are we rooted in? Because in the long run, we will begin to see it in our lives. Just to emphasize his point, Jesus carries on in verse 5 to say, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, friends, I know I'm stating the obvious here, but we must hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying that unless we stay in him, we will not be able to produce fruit. Now, the best way I can describe that is take this 
piece of the vine, the branch that's been cut off. If it's cut off, no matter how hard I try, this piece of the branch will never ever produce fruit. It's not connected to the vine. I can do whatever I want. I can even try and pray on it. I can try and put water on it. I can put all kinds of stuff on it. It's not going to produce fruit because it's not connected to the vine. And so Jesus' disciples, I think, are just really understanding what he's saying here. And the one thing that Jesus is meaning, and, and I think we get this too, is that Jesus is saying that as his followers, he's not talking about us producing grapes. We know that. He's talking about us producing the fruit of the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul spoke. So it's that fruit of God's Spirit, the change that takes place in our lives, that then becomes evident for other people to see. In one of the other readings set for today, our lectionary is 1 John chapter 4. It speaks a lot about love. But in verse 16, it says this, And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Do you see how that relates to what Jesus is saying about being in the vine and then producing fruit? And it reminds me of this very well-known story that uh, M. Scott Peck tells in one of his books. It's called The Rabbi's Gift. And it tells the story, or he tells a story, about a monastery that had fallen on very hard times. And they only had five monks left in the monastery. And in desperation, the abbot went to the neighboring rabbi and asked him, you know, what advice could you, really, could you, could you give to us as we try and work things out in this, in this monastery? And the rabbi said to him, you know, I don't have any advice for you. But the only thing that I could tell you is that one of you, talking about the five monks that are left, one of you could well be the Messiah. So the abbot brought this information back to his colleagues and he said to them, I don't know really what to make of this, but the rabbi has said that one of us five could well be the Messiah. What was interesting is in the months that followed after this is that the, the monks began to act differently without realizing it, or maybe subconsciously, they treated each other differently. There was a new sense of love and respect, and other people slowly began to be attracted to what they were seeing in these men. There was a complete change in their lives. And so this monastery took on a new shape because love was evident in the way these monks treated each other. And it's all because they began to think, well, maybe my colleague could be the Messiah. Maybe he could be the Messiah. And so they began to treat each other as if Christ was living in their neighbor. And this, I think, is, is just a, a story to illustrate what Jesus is saying, is that we will bear much fruit if we remain in his love. But apart from him, apart from Jesus in our lives, the fruit that we bear is going to amount to nothing. Let me close with this thought from William Barclay before we go to the next verse. Barclay said this, Love is the binding power that holds the whole Christian body together. The tendency of any body of people is sooner or later that we begin to fly or tear apart. But love is the one bond that will hold them together in unbreakable fellowship. And this is what Jesus wants his disciples to understand, not just for their own sake individually, but for the sake of unity in the disciples as well as in the church. Verse 6 says that if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burnt. And I think if I had to just throw this part of the branch onto the floor, 
you would be able to understand exactly what Jesus is saying. It's, it's a very simple uh, illustration with the branch and the vine. Verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is something that may be worth uh, wrestling with or asking questions about. My very simple response to this is that if I am connected to Jesus, then whatever I ask or whatever I wish will be in a line with what Jesus wants and his character and his nature. Therefore, God will move to have it accomplished. I mean, that's a very simple response to that. But maybe it's worth talking to maybe someone in your Bible study group or your church or someone about that just to maybe get a deeper or a different perspective on that. Then I come to the last verse for us today. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to yourselves to be my disciples. So if you take a careful look at these eight verses, you will see that Jesus speaks about bearing fruit four times. So he's emphasizing this. We really have to be silly not to understand this point. He's talking about the vine, the, the gardener, us being the branches, and we bear fruit when we stay connected to him. Now the fruit, as I was saying a moment ago, is the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus isn't interested in grapes from you and I. He knows that Delm can't produce grapes. But what he is interested in is whether Delm is producing things like love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all the, the fruits of the Spirit. Because as he says here, it is to his Father's glory. So as you and I produce fruit by staying to the vine, it shouldn't be that people look at us and say, oh, wow, look, look what an amazing person that, that is. Yes, there is a witness in that, and people will say something has changed in this person's life, or we're seeing something different in your life. But ultimately, it's for the, for the Father's glory. And friends, as we, as we come to a close in this, we remember that no fruit, whether it's grapes or bananas or oranges or apples, no fruit is self-produced. It comes from being connected to the tree or the vine. And this is uh, for us the great challenge. And, and the theme for today is being about staying connected. And I must ask us, wherever you're watching this, is how connected do you feel to Jesus, who is the vine? Because we need to place ourselves in situations where we can be connected to him. One of the ways is by watching messages online or connecting again with your local church or a Bible study group or even just spending time reading the word and prayer yourself. We ourselves have to make this choice to be connected. And so as we come to our final thoughts for today, I ask you just to think about this very clear image from Jesus and the symbolism of the vines, and I'm sure we'll understand his broader message. As we come to our conclusion for today, I wanted to share this uh, quote that I found because I find it very interesting. It's from a guy called William Loder. It says this, The image of the tree or the vine is a rich source for spiritual reflection. Now, I mean, we've seen that already in today's message. But it invites us to sense that the divine God is beneath us, rising up rather than above us, condescending. Now, just for a moment, hold on to this, because if I had to ask most of us to say, where would you imagine God to be? Even young children, they would point up and say, God's up there in the heavens or the clouds. 
And we know that God is all around us, but what this image of the vine, and it's such a contemporary image because it's something that is, the vine has been in existence for thousands of years, even in, uh, before Jesus' time and in Jesus' time and even in our day and age. I mean, here in the Western Cape, we, we're blessed to have many, many vineyards. But it's this image that suddenly shows us that God is the vine that's coming up and through us, the Spirit of God is changing us. And I don't know whether that, that helps you or maybe it helps you to think about God in a different way, but God is all around us and God is able to bring about this change in our lives. And so friends, as we come to a close, I've got one more story, but also this point to make is that the, the branches that are connected to the vine, they don't really have a, a choice in, in where they go or in, in what they produce in some ways talking about the actual natural grapevines and so on. But you and I do. And this is Jesus' point. We have a choice in whether we want to produce fruit or whether we want to stay connected to the vine. And it is my prayer that we, we hear Jesus' words today. Let me close with a story. It's a wonderful story told about a little eight-year-old boy who got lost on a skiing trip with his father. What happened was that um, he took a different ski lift and somehow without realizing it skied on a different trail. And as it got later and later, this little boy uh, got lost. And so they had a huge search party going out looking for him. They had about 80 to 90 people searching. His family got more and more frantic, as you can imagine. They eventually had helicopters searching for him. And eventually, after a long, long time, just, um, just as... You know, as dawn was, was beginning to break, because they, they couldn't find him in the night, they found these small little footprints going up to a tree. And uh, the guy who got there first, the part of the search party, he said, the little boy is actually in good shape, and uh, he's probably even in better shape than we are who've been searching for him all night. And the, re the reason why the little boy, his name was Dominic, ended up surviving the elements and doing so well is because he actually listened to some advice that his father had given him. Now for an eight-year-old child to listen to any parent's advice, that's miraculous in the first place. But the second thing is that for some reason, his father had said to him, boy, if something happens and you get separated from us, go and find the nearest tree and stay close to the tree and, and keep yourself warm. So this is where they found the eight-year-old little boy, Dominic. He had found a tree, he had snuggled up to the tree, and he had pulled branches and leaves and everything to cover him. And it was that action, listening to the advice of his father, that saved his life. He was as snug as he could be under those circumstances. And so by simply listening and obeying his wise father, this young boy got to live um, and to experience you know, this new life that he was given or a second chance. And so as I come to a close today, I want to remind us that God is not saying to us through Jesus that we must abide in Him for His benefit. He's saying to us abide in Him for our benefit because we will get to experience all the blessings and all the promises that God has for us. And so friends, I commend to you God's word. I'm going to just have a short prayer and then I'll let you carry on with the rest of your day. Come, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we hear your word clearly to us today as it says that we should abide in you. You are the vine, we are the branches. And your father is the gardener, the one who prunes. 
And so, Lord, we want to make a choice today, and that is to remain connected to you. And so we ask that you would help us to do so. And Lord Jesus, we pray that if we are feeling a little bit dry or disconnected, that we would have the courage to put our pride aside and to find our way back to you. And so, Lord Jesus, may the fruit that we bear also bring glory to your name. We pray this through Jesus, our risen Lord. Thank you.